Our Father, one of the great privileges we have when we worship is to come before you as, as your priests. Our Father, you called in the New Testament, you called all of us to be priests. The priesthood of all believers. You made us to be a kingdom of priests. So this morning as we sit in this congregation together, we rejoice with each other. Not only as your children, not only To take God's word to Fayette County in power in our everyday lives, whether we're in school or on the golf course or in the field plowing, teach us to take the gospel to Fayette County. That our Father, we pray that you would teach us to also be priests, to come before you for our neighbors, for our family, for the world around us, and bring in prayer the world around us to you. What a privilege. Teach us to take that seriously. This morning, Father, as we gather, we pray for Shelley Pike's family, for the nation family. We pray that you would comfort them, continue to bring them peace, continue to bring them comfort that is beyond imagination. May they find just that incredible comfort that comes through your word. Our Father, we pray for Judy Moore's family. We pray especially for June that, Father, you would draw close to her, draw close to everyone in that family. Our Father, we pray that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the promises of your word, that are sure and certain that you will bring that omnipotent comfort to bear. Our Father, now as we open your word, we confess that whoever stands behind this desk is not able to speak so that it will make any difference in our lives, is not able to speak so that we're changed from the inside out that we're so that we're changed at the core of our being. Our Father, that is only done as you speak, as the Holy Spirit speaks in power to our lives. You know, our Father, that this is not just religious rhetoric on my part. You know that I know this. And so once more, we as a people throw ourselves upon your grace. And Father, we just ask that you would teach your children this morning. Teach us. Improve us. Change our hearts. Maybe change some of us for the first time. Our Father, we pray when we leave you in a few minutes that we will know that you have spoken. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. A father, a father 
whose majestic holiness and glory demands our reverence. Jesus teaches how to speak to God. In Luke 11, 2, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father. Jesus begins the prayer by saying, you must understand your intimate relationship with God. If you're going to speak to him, understand that you're to have an intimate relationship with him because you have been spiritually born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you have been reborn into his family, because you have been adopted, you have a close and a privileged relationship with God. So you call him Father. That was the message last week. It's so very important. Jesus said, you must understand. You must realize your true relationship with God. A.W. Tozier was a minister in the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination in the middle of the 20th century. He died in 1963. He was one of the most quoted ministers and authors worldwide in the 20th century. He was just one of those men that he said things in such a way that they turned into these these great, great quotes. Listen to what he said about the attributes and character of God and the importance of knowing the attributes and character of God. What comes into our minds, and this is, by the way, this is on the back of your scripture sheet. I put it there, especially for the people from Ole Miss. I'm sorry. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or its base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time, may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Do you understand that? He's saying when you think about God, there is nothing in your life more important than what your thoughts are about him. And so Jesus said, you must understand your intimate relationship with him. That God has drawn near to you. He is your father. However, and this is a huge however, in the first phrase, after father, Jesus adds a qualifying statement that further defines our view of God. We will use Matthew's version of the prayer at this point. In Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father, what does he say? In heaven. 
hallowed be your name. First, he's your father. Next, he's your father in heaven. He's your father in glory. And next, he's your father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Now let's just go to the end of it. Go to what the whole message is about this morning. Let's go to the bottom line of what Jesus is saying and doing. God is close by. You have an intimate relationship with him. He's your father. But he is also transcendent above everything on earth. He is in heaven. He's in glory. Where is he in heaven? Always on a throne. Always reigning. Since he is in heaven, since he's transcendent above, over, all on earth, since he's reigning in heaven and on earth, hallowed be his name. May his name be hallowed above all other names. In one sentence, Jesus goes from the closeness of God to this great, powerful transcendence of God. Now, heeding Tozer's warning, what are your thoughts about God? Your faith is never going to rise higher than those thoughts. Heeding Tozer's warning, we must not focus just on one of those truths. I mean, most of us would say, man, I love the part about him being my father. I want him close. I'm not sure about this transcendent business, but I like the father. Let's just focus on the father. If you focus only his being your father, his closeness, your vision of God will be skewed, and so will your Christian life. You may have a God who is so very close But you will have a God you will not reverence and a God who is powerless against the great and powerful evils of your world. That's where a lot of churches are today, folks. God is close by. He's eminent. He's with us. He's our father. In their lives, their Christian lives, their worship says nothing about the transcendence of God. And in hard, hard situations, they find themselves lacking. On the other hand, if you focus only on his transcendence, his greatness, his being in heaven, his absolutely holiness and majesty and glory, if you focus only on that, you'll have a ruler but he is so very far from you and from your life. These two things must be taken together. The same time that he's your father, he's this great, mighty, holy, majestic, transcendent God. Now, we could say the benediction and go home. We've summarized what Jesus was saying. And some of the junior highs are saying, I can't believe he's going to let them go. And you know I'm not. I want to take the rest of our time to quarry, to dig into the depths of these truths. 
Because the more we understand them, the more powerful they will become in our daily lives, benefit our daily lives. In Genesis 1-1, what, what do we read? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The name of God there is Elohim. It is the plural of El, God. He's not talking about many gods. It's a reflection, of course, on the Trinity. But more than that, when the word Elohim was used, it was elevated. It was powerful. Here, you're saying God, Elohim, created the universe. The most powerful thing we know in our minds. The most powerful thing that we know is this incredible universe with millions, literally millions of galaxies. What must a God who spoke that into being, what must he be like? He's Elohim. Jesus was saying Elohim is your father. In Genesis 17, 1, we read, this is on your scripture sheet, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The word used there is the word we use this morning. We sang it. God Almighty, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Almighty. Jesus was saying, this is your father. Do you understand that? It's El Shaddai from Genesis 17. God Almighty. So you have Elohim. You have El Shaddai. These are names of great power. Of transcendent power. Look at Psalm 78.35. It's on your scripture sheet. They remembered that God, that's Elohim, was their rock. And then the most high God, their redeemer. They remembered that God was their rock. The most high God, their redeemer. The most high God, the name there is El Elyon. If you had were living back 3,000 years ago, and you had been speaking to a Hebrew brother, and you used the phrase El Elyon, they would say you're speaking of, you're speaking of the God who was most high. You can't get any higher than El Elyon. There's no one above him. He is the most highest. And then my favorite, because it's just a real life scene. In 1 Samuel 17, 45. It's the story of David and Goliath. In verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see that? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He, called, he said his name. The name, the name of the Lord of hosts. 
That name was Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Literally the Lord of the armies of heaven. <laughs> Here's Goliath, and he has this great sword. <laughs> he has a javelin slung on his back. Huge. I mean, it, it, he has this great shield. Here's David who's slingshot. I come in the name. I may have a slingshot, and you may have a, and you may be nine feet tall. I've come to you in the name. I come to you in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies of heaven. And you're nothing, Goliath. Jesus was saying. In Luke and in Matthew, disciples, this is your father. Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth is your father. Do you understand that? He had told them about his closeness and now he was telling them about his transcendence. Why was David so confident? Go home today and read 1 Samuel 17. Why was David? He was confident. He was confident. His brothers even got mad at him because of his confidence. Was he just a cocky little brother? Was he just a cocky teenager? We have some of those at Christ Presbyterian. You know who you are. Was that who he was? Did he have an ego problem? No. His faith was not in himself. What did he say? I come to you in the name of the God of hosts, the God of the hosts of heaven. Now keep in mind, this Philistine, Goliath, had kept the armies of Israel quaking in their boots for several weeks. Many of these men were veterans. Of many, many battles. Yet they were living in fear of Goliath. What had happened? Listen. Understand them. Was it that was David show up and he was a cocky teenager and he was just a young, good athlete? And brave? No. Why hadn't they taken on Goliath? They had lost sight of the God who had obliterated the army, the great army of Egypt. In that day, in, in the, in the, when Israel left Egypt, the greatest army in the world was the army of Egypt. And God just obliterated God had laid waste the most powerful nation in the world. They forgot about that. They forgot about that God. They had lost sight of the God who had sacked Jericho, who had judged the city-states of Canaan. What was it Tozer said? The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. 
when David walked into that camp and there was Goliath with all the huge Philistine army. David was walking into a camp that had forgotten who their God was. I can tell you when we are walking through this world in our daily lives, whatever Goliath we face, sickness, death, Hard times, financial hard times. People who are trying to hurt us. National crises, whatever it is. There's only one thing. There's only one truth. That will keep us from fear, from a morbid fear, from an anxiety that just causes us to tremble. If we understand that God is our Father, and at the same time understand that He is transcendent over all, we fear these things because we don't fear God. That's the truth. The armies of Israel, as great as they had been, were living in fear because they had lost sight of the transcendence of their God. David, on the other hand, knew that his God, the God of Israel, was the God of the armies of heaven. And that understanding of God had affected what he did in every part of his life. Whether he was herding sheep, common everyday thing, He did that without fear. And he did it in peace. Because he understood that his God was the God of the hosts, the armies of heaven. So he comes to the battlefield. He's not herding sheep, and there's Goliath. Verse 1745 is my favorite verse in that chapter. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Old Testament. Then David said to the Philistines, You come with me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of David, and I'm a great athlete, and I'm powerful, and you have no idea who you're dealing with. That's what the modern athlete would say. That's not what David said. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. But you know, there's another verse in that chapter that comes close to being my favorite. It's not, it's not as good as 45, but it comes close. And you're not going to believe the verse I'm going to choose. And some of you are going to say, ugh. The junior highs are going to say, yes. In 1 Samuel 17, 57, we read, And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner, that was David, uh, that was Saul's chief of staff, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. 
with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Do you see it? He walks in to meet the king. And he's carrying Goliath's head. What a scene. I love the fact that God included that in his word. You may know that God is your father, and that is a wonderful thing. But if you don't know he's your father in heaven, that his name is above every name in heaven and on earth, if you don't know that he is Elohim who created the heavens and the earth, if you don't know that he's El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, if you don't know that he's El, El Yon, the Lord Most High, if you don't know he is Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the armies of heaven, then you will never be standing there holding the head of your Goliath in your hand. You just won't. He held Goliath's head because he knew who God was. So what's your fear? What's your fear? You can walk into the presence of God literally with the head of that fear in your hands. This must all also affect the way that we approach God in worship. Every church must ask, does the worship of our church cry out that his name is to be hallowed above all names? The prayer that Jesus taught us, hallowed be his name, hallowed be your name, that must be the constant prayer, the constant desire of the church. That our worship, that everything about us, especially our worship, shout to the world, our God is holy. Our God is transcendent. Tozier, we just quoted him earlier in the message. One last quote from him. It is my opinion that the Christian conception of God current in these middle years of the 20th century is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the most high God. Those are strong words. But this is no laughing matter. This is God we're dealing with. A living, really living. Actually here. He actually holds the universe in his hands. We don't breathe unless he gives us breath. This is serious. What does our worship say about him? I think Tozier was right. If he said it in his day, how much more could he say it today? In these middle years of the 20th century, the Christian conception of God is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God.
One last passage from Isaiah chapter 6. We read it this morning. Greg read it this morning. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, I'm going to read this like it ought to be read, like we all ought to read it. Greg read it great this morning. Let's read it that way. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high, lifted up. And just the train, just the back part of his robe, fill the temple. So he's in his temple. He's in the place of worship. Above him, this is above God, stood these magnificent seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Is Yahweh Saviour? The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me. Woe! I'm undone. I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the king. Yahweh Sabbath, just seeing him was devastating to Isaiah. Listen to me. Jesus was saying, he was pointing to that scene in Isaiah, and he was saying, Peter, that is your God. That's your father. We do not come here in here as children on Sunday morning and we do not say, he's our father. He's our father. There's no need to tremble. There's no need to tremble. He's, he's our dad. He's our father. There's no need for righteous fear. He's our father. I've had ministers say that to me. There's one problem with that. We never see that reaction in Scripture. When John, hey, John had been so close to Jesus. For three years he had eaten meal after meal after meal with Jesus. They had walked the dusty roads of Judea and Galilee together. They had fished together. They had skipped rocks across the wall together. They had laughed together. But you go to Revelation. And this voice starts speaking to John. And John turns around. Who's speaking to me? And there's Jesus. The ascended Jesus. The glorious Jesus. And John didn't give him high five. And John didn't say, good to see you again, Jesus. John is writing this. He said, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. Is that what our worship says? Our worship should speak to him as our father, speak of him as our father. Our worship should also speak of his majesty and glory. We somehow should look like those seraphim. 
who were singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. You know, the opening words of the Apostle Creed reflect the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer. Think about it. Matthew 6, 9. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How do we begin the Lord's Prayer? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father. He's almighty. He's maker of heaven and earth. How do we do that? How do we keep a full, great vision of the God who's drawn close, the God whom we call Father, who at the same time is transcended? How do we keep this in focus? I read something this week. A friend of mine told me about it, and then I began to look into it and research it. How did the Vikings of the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries dominate the North Sea, the North Atlantic? How did those men in those small boats, in a regular way, sail to Iceland, to Greenland, to North America, Viking sailed to North America hundreds of years before Columbus. How did they do this? How could, how could they sail and keep their ships on course when in the North Atlantic often you can sail for days and not see the sun because of the clouds, because of the bad weather, cold, This has always been a problem for those studying this. How did they do that? In 2013, they discovered a sunken ship. And on that ship, with other navigational tools, they found a crystal. The Vikings called it a, a sunstone. And, and for a long time, historians had thought the sunstone was just myth. That it, it was a mythical creation that the Vikings made. But it turned out it wasn't. For they found this crystal. And I can't completely explain it. And... and the crystal would take the light diffused, couldn't see the sun directly, but the clouds diffused the light. They would take that diffused light and it would, the, the crystal acted as a prism and they could turn it a certain way and know exactly where the sun was and adjust their course. They would know the way because of this prison. You imagine how valuable that was. Hadn't seen the sun in a week. Clouds, storms, rain, wind. But this, this crystal, this prison, scientifically, a scientific fact would, would, the, would, the light would come through that prison. And it would tell them exactly where the sun was. 
in the darkness of our lives, in the darkness and unbelief of our sexual, of our secular, it is a secular sexual culture, we easily lose sight of the law of God. We easily lose sight of who God is. Where is the one place day and night, day after day, night after night, month after month, year after year, where is the one place God infallibly reveals himself, supernaturally reveals himself? Through his word. This is our sunstone. And I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how many clouds. You go to this word. And that word tells you. Not only that you have a father. But said. This is your father. He's Elohim. The creator. This is your father. He's El Shaddai. God the Almighty. This is your God. El Elyon, the Most High. There's nothing. What are you afraid of? Something higher than God. There's nothing higher than God. He is El Elyon. And He is Yahweh Sabiot. That's His word. You keep coming back to that. We keep coming back to that. My daughter Jill's here this morning. And sometimes she would say to me, why can't you be like so-and-so and have a hundred million dollars? You know, if your dad had a hundred million dollars, that would fix a lot of things, wouldn't it? Our problem is, folks, we've forgotten who our father is. And he has four, far, far more than trillions of dollars. That's our father. Amen. We have two hymns of response. One that they sang in old Israel, and I don't know the tune, and neither do you. So we're going to read this responsively. Psalm 96, as it reflects the transcendence of God. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name, bring an offering, and come into his courts.